Hello, folks, and welcome to PhD Paranormal. We're a pair of normal PhDs. Talk about all things spooky. Spooky. Such as they are. Yeah. I'm Edwin. I'm Dr. Evan. I'm Dr. Edwin. Yeah. In case you forgot. They didn't forget. Of course not. And we're your hosts on this wonderful podcast, which is graciously supported by some patrons, which we'll talk about shortly. Yes, um, who are, we use some patron money to purchase our beverages. Yes, Dime Mountain Dews. For today's podcast. Yes. And if we sound a little frenetic, it's because we've had caffeine and donuts. And technical issues. And a host of technical issues. And also, um, Dr. Ed and I have had grumpy weeks. Yes, things are things are fine. They're fine. Oh, nothing actually bad happened. No, although I'm still not entirely unconvinced that a demon is not stalking my life. Yes, my phone um, died. Yes, like just full on, gave me a black screen of death and was like, uh, "We're not coming back." Yes, and then of course there's a phone shortage. Yes, so to get a phone took many days. Yes, I mean it sucks to be people in the first world. Oh, yeah. I recognized that it was a position of privilege that I was whining about not having a phone. But, you know, it is horribly inconvenient if you don't have a phone, because if you don't have a phone, how do you listen to our wonderful podcast? I, I couldn't listen to podcasts, and I listen to podcasts most days. And it was really difficult for me because I had no one to send annoying TikToks to. Even though I kept telling him he could send them on Facebook Messenger. It's but. far too much work, because I am fundamentally lazy. So that was my grump. We had snow. Snow wasn't bad. I was actually very grateful. We had a snow day. Um, to have a snow day. I spent all day the day before psyching myself up and then thinking how disappointed I was going to be when it didn't happen. <laughs> but it happened, and it, happened. it was much, much needed. And I got so much work done. Yes. And, of course, the winter weather is perfect for ghosties because, again, lots of ghost stories come out of winter. And, and darkness. And darkness. And what's really interesting about our podcast, amongst many things, is that we do get the opportunity to share with you wonderful, spooky stories. And sometimes, just sometimes, our listeners become the inspiration for everything. And today is a listener-inspired show all around. Yes, it is uber-inspirational by the listeners. I, I don't <laughs> think it's inspirational. I don't think we're inspiring anyone with this. I don't know. Maybe. I don't think I'm so. I'm inspired. I'm inspired daily by our podcast. Okay. <laughs> you sound unconvinced. <laughs> I, I am. I wake up every morning and say, what would PhD Paranormal do? <laughs> Okay, first of all, you don't. <laughs> you roll over and talk to Ralphie, the camel. That is true. And go Check my head. phone. Because <laughs> my phone doesn't die, because I have an apple. Oh, yeah. I just realized I outed Ralphie, the, the camel. Uh, that's fine. Ralphie, Ralphie does not mind that at all. Um, but one of the things we did want to talk about is, of course, how our uh, thing is entirely sponsored by, or not sponsored by, Inspired by listeners today, and of course, as we talk about our listeners, we do want to rapidly thank our patrons, of course, because our patrons are the ones who keep us going. So, which patron would you like to thank? Well, I thank always Apple Pie. Yes, Apple Pie is amazing. Money Penny, who we'll talk about again here in a moment. Money Penny. We also have the Jet, the Captain, we have the Ghost Whisperer, we have Ghost It, and the Gypsy Queen. Yes, so thank you everyone. Who- oh, and the and creepy, creepy crawlspace girl. Creepy Crawl Space Girl. Yes. Is she new? Uh, she was new for... Uh, no, we did talk about her. Okay. Um, uh, she is new from the holidays. Got it. Right. Yes. All right. Yes. So thank you all for your, your gracious support of Mountain Dew and caffeine. We And just remember to everyone that this is a labor of love. We don't really make any money off of this. And Not, our patrons are wonderful. 
So yes. thank you, but it's not like they're giving us thousands of And dollars. someday when we do make a lot of money off of this from our merchandise, which we will monetize because <laughs> we are so motivated to do all the because hard work. everyone needs a t-shirt that says, don't scare me, I have diarrhea. Absolutely. Um, we would actually all pour it back into the podcast because yeah. our goal yeah. is to make the podcast better for you. Yes, and there might be some surprises coming up. Yes, we are in the process of professionalizing the podcast. Because right now, as you all know, we don't know what we're doing technically. <laughs> and I'm sure some of you are like, oh, you're going to get writers and different hosts. Perfect. No. <laughs> However, we are right going to get some folks who are maybe going to help us with the actual recording process to make the sound better. Yes. To help with the editing process so yes. that it's even more seamless. Right. So we don't get the large sneeze gaps along the way. <laughs> Or when um, Dr. Ed has a giggle fit. Or when Dr. Evan has a giggle fit. We both had it happen. Yes. No, one of the things, and again, we are just getting this collaboration started, but our institution is a designated applied learning institution. And so we have some wonderfully talented students who um, are going to be working with us um, to help develop their skills. And then, of course, their skills will make our podcast better for you, the listeners, which is the ultimate goal. So, Yeah, maybe some theme music. Oh, yeah, theme music, um, intro music, and what's the under, underscoring? Underscoring, yes, we learned a term. So if we talk about <laughs> creepy, creepy stuff, we can have some creepy, creepy underscoring, not distracting, but chilling music in And, the of background. course, when this happens, we will be wildly thankful to the students, yes. and you will all know who they are. Right. Yes, they will all get credit. We do not take credit for their work. Nope. And, of course, this is a collaboration. This isn't. Um, something that they're they're not paying paying our institution any money to do, right? No, no, no. it's for like, school projects, right? So it's part of what they're what they should be doing anyway. So, um, but let's go back and talk about Money Penny. Money Penny. So Money Penny uh, recently reached out to me and asked a very simple question, um, which is appropriate. And Money Penny's question, if I can quote it directly, and Money Penny was our uh, wasn't there a story about Penny, which is why we called him Money Penny? Yes, yes. So. The the question Money Penny asked us was simply, do ghosts have a thing for pennies? And in part, that's because his ghost, um, who, ha- who he has interacted with at his home, is known, at least according to Money Penny, for leaving pennies um, in his bed. Uh-huh. Okay. So he basically woke up one morning with a penny <laughs> stuck to his thigh. <laughs> and... Um, he vehemently um, stated that he does not use pennies. So the penny materialized from nowhere, and it was the ghost who did it. So because we are serious podcasters and obviously very clever paranormal researchers, um, I figured we would answer that question. So do ghosts have a thing for pennies? Well, and then I told Dr. Ed something that he did not know. And so I don't know if this is like a Midwestern thing or something, but I had always heard growing up that after a loved one dies, you'll often find pennies because the idea is that they're letting you know that they're okay and that they're watching over you. And so they'll leave you pennies. So, of course, um, if they love me so much. They could leave me some quarters. Well, for, I don't think it's this idea of them trying to, like, make you money. It's just this idea of letting you know they're okay. Look, if they got the time but maybe, to take a, if they got the time to drop a penny in my bed. But maybe it's because pennies are made out of different materials. Well, there's a question about a relationship between copper and whether or not ghosts or spirits are attracted to whatever might be in copper. 
And I don't know, because again, I know that back in the old days, uh, copper was much more widely used. We know that we use copper to conduct, um, uh, especially in the early days, to conduct electricity, right? That's why the copper mines were so important in industrialization. And so maybe because ghosts have an affinity for electricity, that copper is a way for them to connect. Um, that would be my highly, highly scientific armchair paranormal research political science expert opinion. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how much copper is in a penny now. I don't think hardly any. I think it's all zinc, isn't it? I'm looking, man. Because they're much thinner and lighter than they used to be. The modern penny has the least amount of copper with a small 2.5% copper plating and a 97.5% zinc base. Wow. Um, But they used to be made out of 100% copper. So the question, Money Penny, that we would ask you is, are the pennies that um, you are finding from your ghosts, are they older pennies that are more likely to be more full of copper? And they're actually, I think if they're all copper, they're worth a little money because they haven't been all copper since, I think, the early 19th century. So there you go. So, of course, uh, we are happy to answer any of your questions because we are experts in this field. We are not experts. Do not think we're experts. Do not quote us or cite us. Um, But tell your friends about us, of course, because we're... um, very clever. Yes, and I just looked up a article called Pennies from Heaven, which says that it's pennies because, for whatever reason, ghosts can indeed um, manipulate copper easier. Oh. Well, there you go. So, uh, question answered. Um, please send your questions to our uh, Gmail account at phgparanormal.com, and we'll happily answer them on the air for you. So, thank you, Money Penny, for that. And speaking of... There is a penny on his desk. There's a penny on the desk. But um, it is Wash or Lincoln Memorial side up. <laughs> not to mention the fact that um, it is residue of my rapid attempt to try to clean my <laughs> desk off, which was horrible. And don't judge me. But um, also, there is a theory, of course, that why is it that all of a sudden after someone dies, you find a lot of pennies? It's because you're paying attention and seeing the pennies that were always around. Probably true. So either it is. Right? I don't want to tell anyone that their loved ones aren't contacting them if that's what they feel and believe and was comforting. Um, or it could be that normally we just don't bother with pennies. We just don't see them and walk on by. And then if you already have in your head that after a loved one go, you know, passes, that they'll send you a message, then all of a sudden you see pennies. Because so, I remember after my grandmother died, who loved hummingbirds, I dreamed of hummingbirds, and I saw hummingbirds everywhere. But do I really do I think my grandmother was talking to me? I don't know. But I think I was noticing more hummingbirds than there used to be. Well, there you go. I think she was. Why not? Sure. It's a nice it's a nice sentiment for Name sure. All showing me some hummingbirds. All I'm saying is that if anyone who cares about me unexpectedly passes away, quarters go into the vending machines much easier than pennies do. Okay, how about this, friends? If any of you go, give me some Benjamins. Send me the Hundos. <laughs> Yes. But it's interesting because, of course, uh, if we're talking about ghosts and money, because you might be saying, well, this is another one of these off-the-rails podcasts <laughs> where they have no idea what they're going to be talking about. We do. We do. Because it's another listener suggestion. It is a listener suggestion. And we're actually going to segue because, um, of course, money is very important not only to ghosts but to real people. And what do real people do when they need money? Well, some real people choose to steal money. And when they steal that money and they get caught, where do they go? Um, I was going to make a joke about going to, like, Switzerland or something. Uh, Yeah, those are only our politicians. (laughs) They go to prison.
prison. They go to prison often. And, of course, as you know from an earlier episode where we talked about the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City, Missouri, we know that lots of prisons do have hauntings. Especially historic prisons. Especially the historic prisons. So we have decided, based upon a suggestion from one of our um, dear listeners, thank you very much for listening, that we are going to pick up the topic of another prison that exists in Yuma, Arizona. The Yuma Territorial Prison. Yes, so this is a very old, old prison. It's no longer functioning. It's now a museum. Yes, and there are multiple reportings of spooky things going on at this particular penitentiary, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to talk about some of them. Yes. So I have been to Yuma oh. a few different times. Um, someone I care about deeply is there, so I've been there. Um, and I was. Will talking- they leave you a hundred dollar bill? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you're a listening, person in Yuma, <laughs> leave me money. Uh, so. <clears throat> I have been there. I have seen the outside of the prison, but I've never actually been inside the prison. Oh, okay. Yeah. How come you never went in? I don't remember. I feel like it was closed or I was with other people. Did you feel a foreboding presence that kept I, you out? I barely remember it. So either it wiped my memory. It was like Men in Black style. Could be. Or I just didn't go in. <laughs> or maybe you went in and it seeded an alternative memory. Of not going in? Of not going in. Okay. Maybe the horrors you witnessed. Maybe you've repressed them. The what now? Horrors. There you go. (laughs) Hey, don't start with me. Midwest girl. I don't need this. Well, so Yuma, Arizona, if you don't know, is in sort of the southwest-ish corner of Arizona. Very close to the California border, correct? It's close to California, and it's on the border with Mexico. Okay. Um, The town right across is a town called Algodones, which is basically the cotton town. Okay. Algodone, which is cotton. Oh, I did not know that. Algodone? Algodone. Algodone. And again, listeners, I'm going to try to speak Spanish today. Um, I'm from Indiana, and I took Latin. (laughs) So... (laughs) Well, Latin is the root well, of Spanish. Well, Latin and a lot of German, because I okay. came from a very German area. So uh, just bear with me. Fair and just enough. know I'm doing my best. All right. But Yuma is a somewhat desolate place, to be frank. But it is it does have some beauty if you like the sort of southwestern style um, landscape. I personally do not. Mm-hmm. It's just personal preference. But Yuma sits uh, you know, near the Colorado River. Basically, kind of where um, the confluence of the Colorado and the Gila River exists. Gila's are monsters, in case you didn't know. <laughs> they do. They sometimes hang on the side of your house. Yes, big lizards. Yes. Just in case you... I think they're a type of monitor lizard, are they? Probably. Okay. I don't know. Always watching. <laughs> Anyways, they're very large lizards. And if I remember correctly, they're venomous, perhaps? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is where venomous we, meaning that if they bite, bite you. you, or or oh, maybe they're not venomous. Maybe they're like Komodo dragons, where their mouths just have so much bacteria uh, that their bite can kill you. I dated someone like that. Did not they true. bite you? No. All right. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, the first real evidence we have of people um, who are not indigenous in the Yuma area is in 1540. So this is a tale that goes back a long ways. When Captain, here we go, <laughs> Hernando de Alarcón led an expedition right into the Colorado River area to the Sea of Cortez to supply Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, who was oh. looking for the mythical seven cities of Cibola. Yes. Is that Cibola? I don't know. Again, I don't know what I'm saying. Do you know what the myth is? 
The mythical seven cities of Cibola? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. The myth. I will look. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, we're telling a brief story. Right. The colonizers came. The colonizers came, um, but they ended up leaving again. And then the next story we have is in 1774. So we have a long period of time where probably the Spanish are heading in and out but aren't really settled there. The Spanish arrived once again and set up um, initial relations with the indigenous peoples um, who all of a sudden I cannot remember how to pronounce. I told you. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, They are an indigenous group of people, and their name is spelled Q-U-E-C-H-A-N. Okay. Which I have heard pronounced various ways, but I would want to pronounce it how the indigenous communities, because they're still around, right. um, pronounce it. So I'm going to move on so I don't insult Fair an entire group of people. Um, we have a lot of activity in the 18th century between the Spanish and indigenous peoples there. They do set up a fort, Fort Yuma. By activity, you mean conflict? Yes. Okay. And trading activity. So some conflict, some not conflict. Um, they do set up Fort Yuma. Uh, Yuma is kind of another word for that same group of people. Okay. Um, because, of course, once the colonizers come, indigenous peoples are like, no, thank you. We'd like you to go. So there's a lot of conflict. There's a fort there. But eventually, Arizona is starting to become settled right after the war with Mexico. And we start to have Americans arrive around 1848 because as folks are heading towards California for the gold rush, Yuma was a pretty easy place for settlers to cross the Colorado on their way to California. Because it wasn't that one of the three primary routes? Mm -hmm. Yep. So kind of the southern. Yeah, there was a southern and a middle and then kind of the northern routes. I think the northern route went through Walla Walla or something. Yeah. Not that that's important, but. Well, and we have, (laughs) Dr. Ed and I have beef. When it comes to traveling to the West. Wait, what's my beef? I have beef with you. Oh. Because you killed Aunt Sarah. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> um, we played we played Oregon Trail with the Geography Club once, and um, Ed was trying to guide us. Across the river, across and, the Columbia. And I was, I was, the character I was was Aunt Sarah, and he killed me. Not intentionally. She fell off the boat. It's not my fault. You hit a rock. God put that rock there for a reason. What am I supposed to do? And then the ghost of Aunt Sarah had to drive the dang thing. That's right. We got there safely. It is a very fun game, Oregon Trail. Yeah, because now you can play it on just like your PC. And you could die of dysentery. But we didn't. Yes. Okay. And then in 1852, the military establishes Fort Yuma, right, overlooking the Yuma Crossing, Mm -hmm. which is on a hill called Indian Hill, which I don't love, but that's where it is. Um, The Army... Brings right a number of people into the area by 1854. What are you? You're giving Nothing. me looks. Oh, no. by 1854, we're starting to have more and more people settle. Yuma and Yuma County is going to be about 30,000 square miles at the time, so it's a massive. And again, eventually, more and more people are settling in the area because people are wanting to head to the west, wanting to have easy access to Mexico, easy access to California, etc. And so in 1871, the city is officially incorporated, but in 1873 is when it's named Yuma. So first it's Arizona City, then it's named Yuma in 1873. And in 1875, the Arizona Territorial Legislature, because we're not yet a state, Arizona, it is a territory, 
Um, so remember before, this is my little civics lesson, right? Territories have to organize. And then when they meet certain qualifications, they can apply for statehood. And Congress has to grant it. Correct. Which is why we still wait for D.C. and Puerto Rico, um, which is frustrating and disappointing on many, many levels. But that, too, is a side comment. But may the ghosts of those areas continue to haunt our politicians for their lack of... Yes, because what people need to remember, Puerto Ricans are American citizens. Yes. Yes. They just don't count in politics, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. But they are American citizens. Yes. I think sometimes people forget that. I think so, too. Okay. So, it's the territorial legislature, so that's why it's the territorial prison, allocated money for a ter- territorial prison in Yuma. Construction began in April of 1876, and the prison opened its doors to the first inmates in July of 1876. But it was only open for 33 years. Yes. Not a very lengthy amount of time, but in that time, quite a few inmates. Right. I have... 3,069 inmates. Yes. Including maybe up to 33 women. I've heard conflicting reports there. Yeah, I heard 26. I heard 29. I heard 26. I heard 33. So I think it just might, the records might not be perfect. Yes. As a historian, that should bother you, right? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It doesn't bother me because it's just standard. Right. Like, you don't have perfect records. So... Prison operated for 33 years. In those 33 years, we had a lot of different things happen. Um, During those 33 years, about 111 inmates ended up dying. Um, 104 of them are buried on site. So there is a cemetery. In unmarked graves, though. Yes. We don't act. I, I think they know where they are, but I don't think there's not like a marking for each prisoner that passed. I don't actually think they know where they are. They don't, you know, they don't know I where don't they are. I don't think they kept records of where they're buried. And the problem, too, is that over the decades, right, um, the prison has parts of it have been torn down. Um, you know, for example, the railroad reached Yuma. Right. Which, you know, that movie that all of a sudden I can't think of. 310 to Yuma. There you go. Has to do with the railroad. That's right. <laughs> I got my pop culture on. Yes. Um, and there have been some famous inmates at the prison, but we'll kind of talk about them here in a few minutes. Sure. I just kind of want to wrap up quickly the story of what happened to the prison. So the prison operated for those 33 years. It eventually closed largely because there are some significant issues at the prison and also because they wanted a larger prison right because they needed to house more inmates um and so it kind of just sat there for a while um pretty soon the yuma high school burned down and so the high school board rented four structures at the prison and used them as the school from 1910 until 1914 which is why still their mascot is the criminals (laughs) which I would be interested to see what the mascot actually. Did you look at? Did you look at the mascot? Yeah. We'll have to post one on our on our Facebook page so you can see what the actual mascot looks like. I have a Yuma are they in, t-shirt. Are they in the black and white stripes? Hold on, I'll show you. With the cap. Hold on. Do they look like the Beagle Boys? From, the Beagle Boys. From Ducktales. Are you not familiar with the Beagle Boys? <laughs> that's, that's. Oh my. <laughs> It looks like a cranky Popeye minus the pipe. Oh gosh, yes, it's it's. We'll post the pictures on the Facebook page. We will. It basically so looks can... like an angry man. Um, but yeah, like 
Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, they wear, like, striped. Yeah, the, the black and white stripes. Like the, the joking, like, that's not what people wear, kind of. Kind of like the hamburger. Yes. Yes. But without a hamburger head. Right. No, oh. the hamburger never had a hamburger head. The hamburger... Oh. You're thinking of... I oh am. Oh, my. Wow. Merrimack cheese. I am thinking of Merrimack cheese. Wow. Sorry. Hamburglar. If you're listening, Hamburglar, she apologizes. I do, because you weren't eating yourself. <laughs> no. Uh, it's gone off the hills. Okay. Um, eventually, they built a new high school, so they went to the high school. The county hospital utilized facilities there from 1914 until 1923. And this is a pretty common practice with these old buildings. They have end up having multi-uses. Yeah, because um, you need the space, and it's there. Yeah, because remember, we saw that in my obsession, the Beatty House, um, mm-hmm. back here in St. Joseph. So, Yes, in 1924, the Southern Pacific Railroad demolished the western one-third of Prison Hill, which is, it's on a big hill, right. the actual prison. Overlooking the town. Yeah. To make way for new tracks, um, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, or the VFW, leased the guards' quarters in 1931 and actually used it as their clubhouse until the 1960s. Um, and then, unfortunately, Great Depression hit. So we do have some folks who are riding the rails because there are plenty of people who are moving from colder areas, especially homeless folks who can't you know, survive in some of these really colder climates are heading west. It's really common. Um, so some families who are losing their homes, some folks who are riding the rails, as they say, started living right, in the actual cells. Right. Not officially. Right. They're not allowed to do that, but they are. Right. Because it's shelter. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever been to the southwest, you know you need to be inside. Yeah. Because the sun is brutal. That is true. And then by the 1930s, there are requests to actually preserve the prison as a historical site. Um, in 1939, residents began raising funds to renovate the guard tower. So if you've ever seen pictures of the territorial prison, you almost always see the huge guard tower. It's actually rather beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can say a guard tower is lovely, but I think it is. And then starting in 1950s, they really start... The process of saving the territorial prison as a museum, and then the process continues on. I'm yes. not going to go through all of that just because yeah. it's kind of. So, in short, in 1960, the city yep. sold the prison yep. to the Arizona State Parks Board for the price of one dollar, mm-hmm. and then the prison was converted into a state park. This is something that also happens quite a bit. So, my home state of Montana, the old town of Virginia City. Um, essentially was bought by the state and turned into a state park. So the whole town is essentially now a state park, even though there's still people who live there and work there. And, and again, like it's very close to the river. So this prison, of course, like all prisons, has some inmates who are notorious. Now, in our research of this, um, the inmates um, are notorious for their own reasons. They probably don't stand out in your minds, listeners, unless you're from the area as notorious because they're names that we don't really yeah we're not going to have you know like it's a, not like the uh, the uh, the person who killed Martin Luther King um, who was in the Missouri State Prison I forget his name now um, don't James, judge me James Earl Ray James Earl Ray I no, I'm laughing because you gave me a super intense look I was, he leaned forward and he was like I was terrified because I was going to say James Earl Jones <laughs> which was um, Darth Vader so 
Anyway, um, so I want to talk about a couple, and then there's one also that Dr. Hart wants to talk about. Well, and, and some. And Sorry, I just added you again. That's fine. Dang it. At this point, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But there's also a group I want to talk about. Okay. So, um, and we are, okay, so before we get too ahead of ourselves, because I'm sure the listeners are like, um, <clears throat> ghosts, we are going to get to ghosts. Yeah, but there we want to give you some background. That's right. We're a full, fully functional, um, broad podcast. <laughs> we do everything. So, one of the people I want to talk about who is incredibly famous is a person by the name of Buckskin Frank Leslie. Um, Buckskin Frank Leslie was this pretty generic-looking white guy, but he has this amazing-looking mustache, if you look at the image of him, that you can find on the interwebs at some point. And I've not seen him, so I'm looking. So I'm he to... has this amazing oh mustache. Oh, my. Yes. And basically, he was a, uh Army scout for the United States. He was a gambler. He was a gunfighter, con man, general all-around rogue. And um, as an all-around rogue, he actually killed his ex-wife, um, Molly Edwards, and then injured a guy named James Neal. And by the way, you can be a rogue and not murder. That your is wife. true. Um, he was sentenced to life imprisonment at Yuma, and he was actually sent to solitary confinement after an unsuccessful jailbreak. So we'll talk about that as we get into the ghosty yeah. stuff. Um, although, interestingly enough, even though he was sentenced to life in prison for this horrible crime, he spent six years in the Yuma Territorial Prison, and then he was granted a full and unconditional pardon by the governor. No reason given that I could find immediately. So, Why was he named Buckskin? I don't know. Just a nickname. I think probably because he was an Army Scout, so he probably wore lots of buckskin clothing. Mm, okay. That would be my guess. Um, another famous person we can talk about. Um, which is particularly um, interesting, I think, is a guy by the name of Barney Riggs. So Barney Riggs, uh, he's a little bit of, again, kind of a generic white guy. Had a great hat, though, according to the picture. Uh, he was a gunfighter who was sentenced to the Yuma Territorial Prison. And again, he was sentenced to life at Yuma in 1886 because he murdered a man who seduced his wife. Now, that is not the proper response to adultery. (laughs) No. He was famously known for an act of bravery during the Gates Riot in 1887. So there was a big riot at this um, prison, and several people got killed in this riot. And the incident actually occurred during a prison break um, by these seven inmates. And as they were surrounded, the warden, Thomas Gates, was actually taken as a hostage and used as a human shield. So this guy, Barney Riggs, um, he snatched a, gar- a gun from another escapee. He shot the inmate that was holding Gates, and he rescued him oh. from this chaotic scheme, uh, scene. Now, there were a total of four inmates who were killed during that attempt. So, again, this is another area of potential spirit activity, right, because you get these people who are killed during these riots or during these escapes. Um, but because this Riggs guy was so brave, he was pardoned for his bravery, so he actually served just barely a year for, again, the murder of the guy who seduced his wife. Now, the final person that I want to talk about, and I'm going to turn it back over to Dr. Evan to talk about some things. Um, there was, at least according to the research air quotes that I've done about this, a Mexican anarchist by the name of Ricardo Flores Magón. Does that sound right to you? Have you heard of this person? I have not. So... Um, he was um, a famous uh, a, a famous person who was there, um, and then there was a person 
by the name of Elena Estrada. Now, Elena Estrada was one of these varying numbers of women who were in the prison at the time. And um, she is reported to have, get this, stabbed her lover, cut his heart out, and then threw it in his face. Good for her. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, Dr. Everett. <laughs> I don't know why. Wow. Okay. I'm teasing. <laughs> All right. So those are some of the famous inmates I know about. Dr. Hartz wants to talk about a couple more. Dr. Evans. Sorry. Gosh. He's out of control, guys. Out of control. Um, yes. So I briefly wanted to talk about the fact that um, when the ter- territorial prison was in operation, um, the Mormon Church, right, or the Church of Latter Day Saints, was practicing polygamy. Again, not everyone by any stretch, but it was allowed within the faith. And in the 1880s, the federal government basically, um, you know, made it a mission to begin right seeking out polygamists. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that polygamists were not breaking the law often when it came to bigamy, meaning that they weren't um, having multiple marriage licenses, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks who were practicing polygamy were only legally married to one person, but then had other wives that they lived with. Mm-hmm. And so in 1882, there was this bill called the Edmonds Act, which made unlawful cohabitation a felony. So basically made it a felony to live with a person who you called your spouse without them being your spouse. Um, lots of folks were arrested somewhere around 1,300 people, mostly men, because, again, the women were sometimes arrested, but generally it was the men. Um, again, trying to make a um, statement mm-hmm. to the LDS church. And 12 of those right, uh, were convicted in the mid-1880s, many of whom were living sort of out west, and nine of them were imprisoned at the Yuma Territorial Prison. Huh. So for a time, there were... Nine Mormon men um, incarcerated at the territorial prison. And again, this is just a warning sort of shot to Mormons in the area. And there still are quite a few members of the LDS church in like the Yuma area. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, of course, though, by 1890, the LDS church uh, basically, uh, I can't think of what it's called all of a sudden, the manifesto, which says Mm. we don't allow for polygamy in the church. Partially, that's... You know, some things with their faith itself, some have to do with Utah trying to become a state and the attacks on the Mormon church by Utah officials and the federal government. But again, those men were eventually released, but I just think it's noteworthy that there were some gentlemen there who were imprisoned for their religious practice. Right. Again, no statement on what you think of polygamy, but they were imprisoned there. But the person I want to talk about, my favorite, is a outlaw named Pearl Hart. And she was one of the few women who were actually at this particular prison. And Pearl Hart was Canadian-born, but lived in the western areas, including for a time in Kansas City, right? so near to us. And again, Pearl Hart is... As is the case with a lot of outlaws, probably more myth than reality. I Meaning, a lot of the stuff that we know about her, we don't actually know. We sure. just think we know. But Pearl Hart was well known because she um, was a uh, stagecoach robber. So she would rob stagecoaches. Um, 
And what was also interesting about Hart, if you look at pictures of her, is in part because she's robbing people and it was helpful for her, she chopped off all her hair in sort of a male-style haircut and wore men's clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, but was not doing that for any, like, gender identity reason, just no. because it was easier for her to operate yeah. with her hair cut and in men's clothes. Because she had pockets. <laughs> Look, we joke, but those pockets are important. Yes. And also, it's hard to rob stagecoaches if you're wearing a corset. That's probably true. Um, and also, I love this picture of her at the prison where she's back in women's clothing and is looking really, really mad. Have you seen this one? Oh, yeah. There she goes. She's looking not pleased. We can share that photo on the website, too. Yeah, and she was sentenced to five years, essentially. Actually, for um, uh, what's the actual charge? Not for the stagecoach. Interference with U.S. mail. Oh. That's what she's actually charged with. She ends up at the Yuma Territorial Prison. It's kind of a long story how she ends up there. But she became almost a sideshow at the prison. So they gave her an oversized, meaning 8 by 10 foot cell, which is actually pretty massive in that prison. She also had her own yard that she could walk out into at any time. And the warden let the press come to take pictures of her. So it's sort of like an agreement that she got some extra privileges. Right. And she would let the press take pictures of her, talk to her, et cetera, to bring some infamy. Well, when you're good to mama, <laughs> as the Chicago soundtrack tells us. And also the, the tales are that she used her, quote, unquote, feminine wiles to get other things from the guards. Right. Um, there is a rumor that she had an affair with a warden and became pregnant and that that is why she's eventually pardoned by the territorial governor. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. Because hmm. she had two children that everyone knows about. Because she was married twice, she had two kiddos. This would have been a third child. And there's zero evidence that right. she ever had a third child. But again, women who were pregnant were often released from prison. Um, right. They don't want to <laughs> deal with that. But yeah, eventually she is pardoned. Again, we don't really know why. And she... Headed back to Kansas City. Well, there you go. Yeah. And lived out her life. She also, um, she's also well known because she um, played a part in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show for That's a time. True. So what's interesting, though, is she's actually not one of the people who haunts the prison. She's not. Yeah, these are just interesting stories about yeah. the prison itself because the prison is an interesting place. Right. Because it is both horrifically awful seeming and also weirdly advanced Mm -hmm. because the prison had more amenities than most houses in Yuma. So for example, the territorial prison had electricity. It had forced ventilation to help move the air. Right. right? It had bathtubs and showers. So actual like sanitation, including toilets that inmates could use It had a library with over 2,000 books, which made it the largest library in the entire territory. Um, Even had a prison band. Oh, there you go. And that prison band's important. They they come back. In just a little bit. But also, everyone hated the prison. Yes. It is, Yuma is a very hot place. There is, it's, the heat is like just oppressive. But it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat, which means that also you die faster. <laughs> um, for example, one inmate said it had insufferable heat that made the place an inferno. You couldn't easily escape. There was no place to escape to because there are rivers 
and desert mm-hmm. and the dunes. Like, there's no good place for you to run to. Right. There was no place very close by that you could run to. They had ball and chains that they used as punishment, which is very, like, painful. Um, some people said it was, quote, impossible to endure, but more possible, impossible to escape. And lots of folks died of tuberculosis. Yeah. Which is a deadly and not a pleasant disease to die from. No. So what I want to talk about now, Dr. Evans, I do want to talk about some of the ghosts. Yes, let's talk about ghosts. Because in spite of the very short history of this prison, um, there are multiple reports that suggest that many spirits actually continue to haunt the site. Now, some of the reports are pretty um, mundane in terms of paranormal haunting. So the more mundane things that happen are lights turning on and off uh, when no one is around, um, items in the gift shop being moved around. Now, those sorts of things are perhaps easier to explain, right? Especially moving stuff in the gift shop, right? Because stuff gets moved and people don't think about it. Um, If you think about your own activities in the grocery store, you pick something up, you're like, oh, no, you put it back, but you don't put it back in the right spot, things like that. Or you move something, you forget. Like, how often do I forget where my phone is or I put my glasses down? I have to go hunt them down. Or the charging case for my earbuds. <laughs> which is still missing and yes, maybe which, demonic activity. Oh, yes. But, um, but there are some other ghosts that are of some note. Now, one ghost in particular is supposedly the ghost of a little girl. Okay. And this little girl is ghost or the spirit of this little girl is reported to sneak up on unsuspecting visitors. So you're visiting the Yuma Territorial Prison, maybe got the fam out, doing a little history right, and all of a sudden you will feel a poke with several little fingers. Oh, the way you're describing this is wildly unpleasant. And the interesting thing about this is that she will only poke you with several little fingers touching with these icy little fingers if you're wearing red. So I heard she pinches. Does she pinch or does she poke? Uh, I heard poking, but I've also heard pinching. So I think she does both, Um, which is an interesting thing. I mean, she is perhaps just trying to get your attention. Well, and it might be, too, that that kind of, like, if she does have the icy fingers of a ghost, maybe the poke is painful like a pinch. Could be. But many of you might be wondering, well, this was a prison. Was there ever a little girl in prison? The answer is um, not in prison as in incarcerated, but as Dr. Evan noted during the Depression, um, there were lots of people um, who were homeless, and they actually used it as a shelter. And lots of people go to the river even still, uh, and the river has a pretty quick current. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you get in, you can unfortunately drown fairly quickly. Right. So it is possible that um, this young girl suffered some trauma. Maybe she did die in the prison. We don't know, even though she wasn't a prisoner. Um, but what what the legend says is that she died in one of the cell blocks due to an illness. Mm. That's what they're suggesting. Um, there's also reports of apparitions um, that linger on death row. Okay, or around death row or the cell blocks that were surrounding death row. So we got lots and lots of those kind of weird apparitions. Do we know how many people were actually executed there? I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, I will Google while Sure. We... But one of the things I really want to talk about is something that's known as cell 14 and the dark cell. 
So cell 14 and the dark cell are known to be the most haunted cells in the prison. So cell 14, okay, cell 14 was the cellmate or the cell where an inmate by the name of John Ryan had been locked up. Now, what's interesting about this is that John Ryan was imprisoned for what was called crimes against nature. Now, if you're not familiar with this in the old days when they used um, the language crimes against nature, it was usually related to some form of a sexual offense, either deviant as defined sexual behavior um, it could be sexual assault. It could be rape, things like that. Well, oftentimes with rape, it's usually classified as rape. But it's often if you have had some sort of sexual activity that is deemed, as you said, sort of deviant by society. Right. So rape was often an actual like crime in and of itself. Yes. So when he was in um, cell 14, uh, it was... Uh, uh, you know, when he was there, it's basically solitary confinement or a type of that. Uh, they would dress him only in his underwear, and he would exist on a meal of bread and water, one meal each day. And sometimes they would just chain both of his legs individually, um, chain both of their legs individually to these two ring bolts, right? Ugh, awful. And, um, of course, uh, uh, you have to recognize that these cells were not the Hilton or the Hampton. They are really tight. Um, so the average height of the cell, I think I heard, um, I was watching the Ghost Adventures episode about this, that was like around five, five and a half feet. So the average size man would have to stoop if they stood up. You couldn't stand up straight. And they're often too short or too, so you couldn't have a hard time laying and stretching out. Again, they're very, very tiny boxes. And the bad thing about cell 14, um, and this is also about the dark cell as well, is that the only light that would come in during the day came in from this small ventilation shaft in the ceiling. And then once the sun went down, you were in total darkness. Now, poor Ryan um, often shared his cell, and I'm going to warn um, the ghost whisperer if they are listening because <laughs> this is your particular trigger. He often shared the cell with several unmentionables. So, of course, we're in Arizona. We're in the desert. So we're talking about snakes would be in the cell with him, scorpions. But sometimes it's not just that these unmentionable creatures wandered into the shell, uh, into the cell themselves, but rather that sadistic guards would actually drop them down the ventilation shaft um, to further torture these prisoners. So John Ryan, um, who was locked up, um, he was hated and ridiculed by the guards um, and the fellow inmates. A lot of that, that had to do with his particular offense. And he eventually took his own life in the cell. He hanged himself. Um, hanged himself, hung himself. I don't hanged, know. I think. Hanged, hanged himself. Um, so his spirit is supposed to reside in cell fourteen, and people who walk by the cell report getting cold chills, feeling very uneasy. Now, a couple things to note. Okay, there are two stories I think that are interesting that kind of help underscore how creepy this is. 
Now, cell 14, okay, was, again, where Ryan was. And you often hear stories of people who try to spend the night there. So there was this one reporter who believed that all these reports of hauntings um, were not real. And so she was going to spend the night. Okay, so she got there at 9 p.m. They put her in the cell. It's dark. And like three and a half hours later, she is screaming to be let out of the cell. Let me out of the cell. I can't stay here. And the reason why she said that is because um, she said she felt like she wasn't alone in the cell, that there's this oppressive, oppressive presence in that cell with her. And then um, we have another story of a woman who went to visit the cell. And when she was in the cell, she got this horrible, horrible, oppressive feeling. Um, And so she left... But then something compelled her, if I'm getting the story right, if I'm misremembering it, I apologize, but she came back um, or she felt compelled to come back. And so she came back to the outside of the prison at night and she put her hands on the wall and she's like, I'm listening. I am here. And then something threw her hand back. Like it felt like it threw it back off the wall. And then she felt like she had this oppressive force with her. Now, this was part of the ghost adventure story. They actually interviewed this woman. They brought her back into the cell. They did some EVP reporting, recording, EVP recording, Mm -hmm. which is electronic voice phenomena. So they have a tape recorder. They ask questions. They're trying to get a sentient response um, to the question. And she had said um, something along the lines of, I wonder how he hanged himself. They were in the uh, the cell, and the voice recorder picked up again something that could have been a garbled order at a Burger King microphone, <laughs> or something that the Ghost Adventures team reported as sounding like um, on those two poles up there, something along those lines. Oh, okay. So there's a sense that they got this response, and that engendered this whole conversation about whether or not. A spirit like that could actually follow someone and get attached to the attached to that person. Now, from our previous conversations, again, this might creep some people out, right? There are debates about whether that can happen. There are some paranormal researchers who firmly believe that spirits are bounded, right? That okay. ghosts don't follow you. Okay, ghosts are tied to locations, right? That people aren't haunted, places are haunted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if you feel like something is following you, that is, again, demonic, right? Which is not about a human spirit. It is about something else, okay? That is supernatural, not paranormal. So that was an interesting conversation. And, of course, cell 14 is very much like the dark cell. Again, dark cell was these places of, of solitary confinement and isolation. And people who go in to the dark cell report that they have this overwhelming sense of uneasiness, mm-hmm. okay, that someone is watching them from the corner of the room, okay? And that's another weird thing about uh, spirits and sensory perception, right? Because it is always that thing that is just kind of out of the corner of your eye, that you're just like, there feels like there's something there, but if you actually look, there's nothing there. So you get that sense that something's watching you, you go to look, because you think you might have thought, saw something out of the corner of your eye, and then you don't. 
Now there are some other spirits in the in the in the um, prison um, that are again less um, sort of oppressive, mm-hmm. I guess that we could talk about. Um, there are reports of just hearing muffled conversations in vacant rooms in the prison itself. So just as if there are people just talking. We do have, again, witnesses who see things out of the corner of their eye, as we just talked about. There is reports of a woman who sings in the visitor's area early in the morning. So the song's never been identified. But we do know that in sort of these work situations, if people were out working, they would actually sing songs. So maybe they were working in a collective garden or something. And that was part of the routine, singing while they worked. I don't know. Or it could be, you know, after the prison closed and yes. there are people who live there. And, you know. Yes, that could be very much true. Um, there's also um, another ghost that's called Johnny. Okay, now Johnny is a harmless ghost, so they say. Um, and Johnny is in the gift shop. Now, Johnny doesn't move the stuff in the gift shop, at least according to legends. Johnny um, flicks coins in the cash register. Um, and like while the drawers, like what do you yeah, mean by flicking? Like the, just just he he's flicking coins in the cash register. So if the cash register register drawer is open, you'll hear a coin flick. Is it always pennies? Um, it doesn't say. Oh. Um, but he he never messes with the cash money with the with the bills, the paper money. Huh. And then the other thing um, that is often reported is um, a band. Okay, that they hear band music being played. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the history of ghosts that's there that I found. What else do you know? I didn't find too much more. I found that some people with the little girl, that the legend about her differs kind of depending on who you ask, which is not that strange, right, that the legend is different. Well, and ghosts are kind of like a game of telephone. People experience it very differently. So someone had said one of the legends was that she had gone down to the river because her doll had floated out. Like she had been playing, and the doll fell in the river, and so she and she drowned, and that she was wearing a red dress, oh. which is why she hates the color red. Because it was her red dress's fault that she fell. I in the don't river. have a good answer for you. I would think she'd be more mad about just like baby dolls or rivers. Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and there's also a tale, and I don't know if it's connected to the tale of La Llorona, but there is a tale of a woman who wanders the riverbank crying. Looking for her child. And so for our listeners who may not be familiar with that uh, Mexican folklore, uh, could you explain a little yeah, bit about La what Yorona that is? Yeah, La is like the white woman. Um, if you've seen, there have been two movies recently made about her, and they were both not good. Um, but basically she is, uh, oh, she's been on television shows. Like I know there's an episode of Grimm about her. She's pretty well known. It's sort of a folk tale that has made its way into the U.S. as well, and she's seen largely in Spanish-speaking areas, like where a lot of people speak Spanish. Um, She's in a white dress and allegedly looking for her children that have died. And in part of the myth, she will take people's children and drown them. No. It's part of, like, the larger myth. But I don't think I've I've not heard anyone mention that specifically. So I don't know if she actually is allegedly connected to La Llorona or if she is literally just a woman, female ghost that people have seen. Looking for her child who's drowned. Right. And I don't. I haven't seen anything that connects her to the red, the pinchy girl. Right. Like that that's her daughter or something. 
I do wonder about that. Um, there are lots of different places where you reportedly have these um, spirits who don't understand the nature of consent and they touch and pinch you. <laughs> and like pinching is such a weird thing. But right? it's such a little kid thing, though, isn't it? Yes. Or a St. Patrick's Day thing. Ugh. Sorry, I used to, I would get so mad when people would pinch me. Be like, I will punch you. I will punch you. Fair enough. It's a St. Patrick's Day tradition anyway. Usually after several green beers, but yeah, fair enough. Well, for me, it was not in relation to that at all. It was, you're not wearing green in elementary school. I'm going to pinch you. Be like, no, we're not doing that. Fair enough. I do not consent. But um, we do see some, um, again, just we see some parallels in these, in these, Places where that we've been talking about these places that have served as um, homes for people who are suffering some sorts of ill of society, right? Whether it's incarceration, yeah. whether it's homelessness, whether it's drug rehab, um, uh, a mental institution, and so there is perhaps you know reason to suspect that if all of this has some basis in reality, which we don't know. Again, I am not a hardcore believer. I mean, I believe that people are having these experiences. I don't know what's causing that. But um, there might be some things to think about, that that legacy of trauma, which is so critical in these stories. Well, and I just find the territorial prison really interesting because it is a weird mixture of really progressive ideas, like this idea that... Um, they were uh, most of the inmates were fed well. Right. That they have all of these at the time very modern amenities. That a lot of the inmates got much more outdoor time, a lot more um, you know time outside of the cell, right. which was not common in most prisons at that time. That they had work that was more for the betterment of themselves, not just the prison overall. Um, that they had the band, that they had this library. They had women who would come in to teach classes to the inmates mm-hmm. to help them get an education. So it's just really confusing, like, progressive according to the standards of the day. But then at the same time, the prison itself is, I mean, we'll, we'll post some pictures, but if you've never been there, it looks brutal. Right. And I think part of it's how it's built. Right. Um, it's not like what you think of as, it doesn't look like a traditional prison. Mm-hmm. It has the gates and all of that like a prison, but the walls are made out of stone and like some other stuff. It's a really strange mixture. and um, Limestone? <laughs> I don't think it's made out of <laughs> limestone. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, they were bathing them regularly. They were trying to keep the cells really clean. Right on the belief that this is what causes causes illness, right? right, is lack of sanitation. So all that's happening while at the same time they're throwing people in the dark cell, torturing them by throwing scorpions, etc., into their cells. That you know, lots of people are dying from tuberculosis, which comes from lack of quality air and air movement, etc. And so it's just kind of this interesting place in my mind because it's at once oppressive and harmful and, you know, really frightening, I would imagine, for people who live there. And perhaps something that we might look into or I might look into, um, of course, we find lots of, there's lots of um, old territorial prisons that are reported to have been haunted. Um, And of course, lots of sort of penitentiaries that um, are up until like the 1960s. So, of course, we know about the ghosts of Alcatraz, um, which we may or may not choose to do an episode on at some point. I know Alcatraz is reportedly um, full of haunty, spirity things. 
Um, the old Montana Territorial Prison, um, of course, is another one of those areas. But I wonder if we have as much, like, I wonder if for prisons to be haunted, prisons have to be vacant. Like, I wonder if the modern-day U.S. industrial prison complex type of prison um, has hauntings um, because the trauma is still there. Um, and in some ways, it's, I mean, and what's interesting is some of those prisons have been around for a very long yeah. time. Like, we've used a lot of the same prisons for decades upon decades, and yeah. people have died there, you know. Yeah. So anyway, listeners, that's about what we have for you today. And I was going to say the walls oh. are largely made out of stone and adobe. Okay. So that's what the walls are made of. But we can post some pictures yeah. for the listeners so they can get a sense of what it looks like. It's like weirdly attractive at times. And other times you just think like, oh, like right. just the idea of being in there is terrifying to me. So this is what we have for you today. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed. Um, again, we will. we are endeavoring to... Make sure that we don't meander. Right. Too much. We're trying to stay on target as much as possible. But, of course, we want to thank um, our listener who gave us a story. We want to, again, thank our patrons. We want to mostly thank any of you who are listening to our podcast. And we especially want to thank you if you're telling your friends to listen mm-hmm. to our podcast. Um, it is our goal to continue to produce content of high quality. And we'll hopefully be even higher quality once we get some help from folks who know what they're doing. Yes. In terms of the technical aspect. Yes. And more spooky stories. Again, we do have a plan. Well, I have a plan to sometime this spring to return to the Beatty house in person, perhaps, and do some live ghost hunting. Oh, I'll, I'll go. All right. She's I don't know a, if I'll spend the night. But it's I'll on go. record. It's on record. I said, hold on. <laughs> I said I will go. I don't know if I'll stay the entire night. Fair enough. Um, but also, we just want to say, too, share your stories with us. Share yes. ideas that you have for the podcast, things you want us to research. Because yes. we are more than happy to look into stuff. I would not normally be like, let's talk about a you know, prison in Yuma, Arizona. But, again, we had a you know, yes. listener request, and so we go look it up. Any spooky story that you have, and it doesn't matter if you feel like it was real or not, please share it with us. And as always, we will keep you anonymous if that's what you like. Or we will say your name if that's what you like, (laughs) if you want fame and fortune. Um, And we do have plans for upcoming episodes. We've got it sort of mapped out for ourselves. Yes. So I think our next um, topic is going to be near and dear to my heart. Yes, we're going to be talking about... Haunted or cursed films. Yes. All sorts of films have ghosty things attached to it. So, And not all horror movies, though often they are horror movies. But yes. Not all of them. And then we're also going to talk about um, another place. I forgot where we were going. Well, what, we had a couple of options. We're going right. to map that out. But again, if there are places that you know of that you would like us to talk about, please let us know. Yes. Because the more we know, the more you'll know. Yes. All right, spooky friends, we're going to sign off. It's been fun talking. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.